and welcome to Conversations in Clean Tech, the podcast that celebrates the clean tech industry and the people that power it, brought to you by Brightsmith. I'm your host, Jenny Gladman, and across the podcast, I'll be interviewing leaders and entrepreneurs from around the world to explore the opportunities, challenges, and rewards of working in clean tech. From revolutionizing solar panels to overhauling the way we move, in this second season, we'll be exploring the innovations that are sparking sustainable change and fueling a cleaner, greener future, whilst offering some tokens of wisdom to enlighten, engage, and inspire everyone to live their purpose. I am very excited for today's episode of Conversations in Clean Tech. Not only is it the first episode of a brand new series, our power series focusing on different types of clean energy and their role in tackling climate change, I also have the delight of chatting with an old friend of mine who's recently joined the clean tech sector. Today's guest is one of the brightest, most thoughtful, and also most amusing people I've had the pleasure of meeting through my career someone who has a passion for everything he does, which is contagious. And after a brilliant chat a year or so ago about transitioning into the sector and finding a position with purpose, he did just that earlier this year when he became the marketing director of Portuguese startup Go With Flow. Thomas is a marketeer through and through. He's a brilliant ally of women in tech and also as a newbie to the sector, he offers a unique insight into what it's like to step out of a traditional corporate career and into a startup driving sustainable innovation across the globe. Go With Flow is a unique end-to-end software offering. It integrates EV charging, electricity supply, sharing and location, as well as fleet electrification optimization at enterprise level. Today, we're going to talk about taking the leap into the clean tech sector, the challenges that brings, the challenges facing the sector as a whole, how EVs are helping to tackle these issues, and also we'll chat about a few inspirational individuals going above and beyond to accelerate the journey to a cleaner future. So enough from me. Now let's hear from today's guest. It gives me great pleasure to welcome Thomas Edwards, Marketing Director of Go With Flow to Conversations in Clean Tech. Hi, Thomas. Hi, Jenny. I think some of that introduction was about me, but I think maybe uh, you got it a little bit lost somewhere in the middle here with all those compliments. I don't really recognize that myself. But um, yeah, thank you anyway. So I'm going to hand it to you to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. And please do tell us about your amazing kids, your job, and perhaps a little on your love of guitars. I mean, how long have we got? I can talk about guitars for the next hour if you like. But yeah, I spent 20 something years working in financial services in various different roles, which culminated in me sort of shifting into the sort of marketing space and and sales and and marketing of technology around the world in different countries. A couple of years ago, as you said, I started to shift or or have a a career epiphany, if you like, to sort of work out what should I be doing with my life and where can I add the most value? And I'm sure we'll come on to that shortly, but um, it's really where a big change happened. As you mentioned, I have three delightful daughters and they keep me busy. They... uh, but they're great, they're happy. What I truly believe is, is that what we try to do now in, in work and what many more people um, seem to be talking about is that sort of acknowledgement that what we're all doing is trying to build this better planet and build back a, a better situation for our children and, and for the next generation. So maybe it was because I had children, maybe it's from the other outside forces that sort of influence your life. But certainly I, I recognise that as a big driver of 
of my change in career and what I'm trying to achieve personally. And then on to guitars, I now have four guitars. At one point I had probably 20 something. Um, I won't go into which ones they are and which ones I have left, but they're all very personal to me, I suppose. If I ever get any spare time, which is very, very infrequently, they, they, they feature. Funnily enough, I'm in, I'm, I'm in Portugal at the moment, I'm in an apartment, and uh, the, the, the host said to me as he handed over the keys, and, and he knew nothing about me, of course, but he said, oh, and there's, there's a guitar in the corner if you'd like to play it. And, and, and I thought he wanted to audition me or something, but I, di I didn't uh, take him up at that point. But then on the terrace later on last night, I, uh, I, I got this guitar out, and it was probably about 45 years old, hadn't been played for 40 of them. It looked a bit rotten, but um, I'm going to give it another go tonight, yeah. Well, excellent. I look forward to hearing whatever you play. <laughs> so I guess to go back to the um, the theme of today's podcast, one of the things we thought about when we were thinking about this series was the people who aren't already in clean tech. So I guess the outsiders, as, as I was a few years ago and, and you were a few months ago, and making sure that those people outside of that sphere of clean tech can gain a bit of an understanding of what it's like on the inside. So I think the first thing I'd like you to talk to us about is your understanding of what the clean tech space is, what it means, and, and what kind of fits within that umbrella. The way I look at it, the world's got some problems, right? A lot of those are environmental problems. And we, as, as a race, as human beings, absolutely have the intellect and ability to, to fix those problems. And we need to do that, of course, with, with technology. So the way that we can apply what we already know and what we've already developed as human beings in that space to solve those problems is fantastic. But of course, as we, as we develop and as we evolve in the technology space as well, we'll start to see new ways of, of dealing with these problems. And as and when new problems arise, you know, you know, finding new problems to solve. So clean tech for me is, is that sort of umbrella term that's describing exactly that, Te you know, like as if you'd say health technology or health tech, FinTech, my old word, financial technology, so we're now looking at sort of clean tech being the technology which exists to address some of these environmental problems. And I guess the clean piece is really the descriptor that states it's zero or no impact, right? This is, this is, this is technology and addressing problems that doesn't have any adverse effect on the environment or the world we live in. And that's where the sort of clean tech label comes from. It is no sort of either very low or ultimately zero impact. Yes. And I think that brings us perfectly on to my next topic of responsibility. And you touched on that slightly there of your own personal responsibility, but we've talked about that in responsibility on an individual level that each one of us has, or particularly those ones of us that are fortunate to be able to make a difference, and then responsibility on a corporate level and how we can encourage that. So thinking about that responsibility and how we've all got that, we all share that, and we can all work together for a cleaner future. Talk to me a bit about how that fits in with, with what you're doing at Go With Flow. So I think that's a really interesting point from a number of reasons. So the first is, as you said, we all have a responsibility to do this, to improve our environment today, but certainly to improve it for future generations. And no matter what you do, whatever efforts you make yourself, it's going to drip into society. People are going to see that. People are going to copy your behavior. And it takes time. It might take a couple of generations, but essentially every single piece of effort we do, whether that's, you know, reducing use of plastic or whether it's changing to an electric vehicle, whatever you do personally will be witnessed and it will grow. You know, it's like the ripples in a, in a pool. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So that's one side. You're absolutely right. From a corporate side, and I had this discussion last week with a client of ours, is a really interesting viewpoint because 
If you're a corporation and you have a responsibility or a belief that you want to lower your own carbon emissions, you have, of course, the carbon you put into the atmosphere through your own operations, through what you make or for what you do. But because you want to encourage your staff to come to you in many cases, or you want to come to the office, you're also encouraging them in that instance to put carbon into the atmosphere unless they use a mode of transport which doesn't do that. So you also have a responsibility to, once you're trying to um, bring your people to your office or send them around the world or around the country, whatever you're doing, you're creating this problem. So what you should be looking at doing as well, rather than the, the you know, our carbon emissions is, is X, you need to think about all the impact and your supply chain as well, because all of your supply chain will be emitting carbon and your employees in their role come into the office or even in their personal life will be doing that as well. And organisations have a, quite a big responsibility, therefore, to change that culturally and to encourage their staff to behave in a different way. So I think, you know, as a, as a, as a, a drip feed into society, those corporations are, are perfectly placed to um, change the way that we all behave. I couldn't agree more. And I think you touched on something there, that a massive chunk of the emissions from most organisations, not all, comes from mobility, comes from them moving around, their employees moving around, their customers moving around. In the cases, if we're looking at things like retail, a huge amount of emissions of a, of a large retailer come from people actually going there. And I think I love that part of Go With Flow. It's looking at things on that level of not just the personal level, not just what car do you drive around in at the weekend, but what if you have a fleet, if you have, you know, you can have a much greater impact by changing things on that level than looking at each individual in society. Yeah, exactly. And as you said, you know, even if you're a service organisation, there's elements of mobility to it. And the retail case you just spoke about, of course, there's a whole, especially what we've seen over the last 18 months, there's a whole delivery infrastructure that you've got to consider. You have supplier to, to destination, destination to warehouse, warehouse to a, a depot, and then the last mile delivery as well to someone's house. All of these are essentially carbon emitting exercises. And if you're really serious as an organization about reducing your carbon footprint or, or you know, portfolio, if you like, you need to consider all of that. And it's only when, as an organization, you start to enforce those requirements on your suppliers or if you're a city, you start to say, actually, you can only operate in our urban zone if you're a zero emission vehicle that forces that change because then businesses have to do it. And we see that all the time. We see organisations who are sort of either leaning towards decarbonisation because their government or their situation tells them they have to. But also, more and more, we're seeing organisations who, from a branding perspective, want to do it because their customers are looking for that in their supply chain so if that's an individual looking at the, the brands they buy or if you're a business looking at the people you you partner with we see it more and more that people are are specifically looking for a sustainability program or a decarbonization program as a as a tick to allow you to partner with them in the first place mm -hmm. and i think a, a fantastic example of this is ikea and our good friend angela who's actually currently seconded to cop 26 but what she's done and what they've done from a, a mobility perspective, looking at exactly, as you said, the entire supply chain, the deliveries, zero emission where possible, even the customer base, employees, how they get to work, the whole system has been an incredible switch that they're driving and I think pioneering in that retail space. Absolutely. Yeah. And we talk to IKEA and companies like that and their view and their vision about the future is really, really encouraging, you know. And this whole idea that if you go as a, as a customer to a retail site with an electric vehicle, for example, and when you get there, you're unable to, 
to charge it up again whilst you're in there, or even they offer that as part of their service. And it's it's all really exciting. And I think what we are about to see as as people, certainly in the developed world anyway, is this massive change from the way that we consider mobility. Not just about the way that you use your own vehicle if you have one, but the really, really the way that everyone views how you move about, be that on public transport, shared transport, micro mobility, etc. And rather than this whole, I, I call it this sort of gorging on fuel that we used to do, where you, I don't know how you use your vehicles, Jen, but you know, go to the petrol station, you fill up a tank, you use it all. I'm the sort of person who goes right down to the wire and I fill it all back up again. And uh, you know, that sort of gorging on fuel because it's available. And shifting that to a, a sort of grazing attitude where every time you park your car, you're going to plug it in and you're going to start to charge it. And you might only get 5 or 10% or 10 miles, but that will be the, the natural thing to do when it's parked, it needs to be charging. And you end up grazing on this fuel instead. And I think that cultural shift we'll see everywhere. And what obviously the optimum situation would be, would be this sort of idea that you have a sort of one mobility account. So you have a like an Oyster card, like a, a, a prepaid wallet. And you can use that for public transport. You can use that for micromobility. You can use that when you go to work in, a, in, a, in a, maybe a, sh- a shared car. And you end up having that as a, as, a, as a cost associated with you as an individual, also potentially as your sort of carbon account as well, like you're putting it into the atmosphere or taking it out. And I think us getting to the point where we acknowledge that situation and, and it becomes the norm for us to consider that in everything we do is what we're all shifting towards. Now, of course... There are people who, are, who don't believe it. There are people who are against it. You know, you remember when um, people started challenging the notion of global warming maybe 10, 15 years ago, saying it doesn't exist. It's, it's, it's fraudulent. It's just, it's, it's made up. You, you know, now, I mean, those voices are, are less and less, right? People are recognizing We're seeing the effects of it all the time. We're seeing floods and fires. We're seeing record numbers. We're seeing real changes outside our own windows where we can see this happening. I don't think there are that many people around who deny it anymore. So you know the shift towards adoption the shift towards acceptance and the shift towards that cultural change when we be driven by companies like us who are the backbone of it all or by companies who recognize that need to change and want to help um, themselves do it but also help their employees as well yeah no i totally agree and there's there are companies out there doing that mobility wallet your kind of one size fits all for their corporates actually a lot more in mainland Europe than in the UK because their governments are really incentivizing it but yeah there's some incredible other platforms out there that kind of tie in perfectly we are going to touch on this later but I think one of the amazing things and we've spoken a lot about this since you joined the sector is collaboration and working in a sector where you want to help your competitors and you want them to succeed and all of those surrounding pieces of the jigsaw want to talk to each other and want to help each other and want to share ideas is amazing. And seeing how even just through doing this and doing some of the other content that I've produced, I've managed to link these people together and intend to keep doing so has been amazing. And I know you've talked about that since you joined the sector, that kind of wealth of experience out there and those people that are so giving with their time. Yeah, I think, you know, it, it's so alien to me. And, and, and Jenny, we go back eight years, as you said, and share a bit of history with regards to financial services and, and software in particular. And if I think back to that sort of time or pre that when I was working in a large wealth manager, you know, your, your competitors, if you like, or people in the same sort of industry as you were, were completely unknown, really. You might know some of them personally because you've worked together in the past, but business to business, it's quite a rare thing to sort of share a passion and share ideas and work out how you work together. 
I'm not saying it doesn't exist because you need to have complementary products that sort of support a wider ecosystem, but it's quite a rare thing. Shifting into the clean tech industry, as we're talking about today, or in particular in this sort of electric vehicle transition phase that we're all in, is completely different. So there's a community, a very loving community, and I don't mean that in a uh, a particularly over-the-top way, but certainly I feel a lot of love and I feel a lot of support in the community where people want to help each other, people want to connect largely because some of the answers aren't known yet. And we're trying to build an ecosystem and services and relationships and, and partnerships that help our clients ultimately. And people know they can't do that on their own. There's an expert in one vertical, there's an expert in another. They have to work together to make these things work. So you see, you're making some introductions. There are events that go on that um, are really strong in making those introductions as well. And what I'm seeing and what I'm really encouraged by is that the people who are involved in them they're there to do business. They're there to meet people. They're there to look for these partnerships. It isn't a rarity. You know, people are putting their hand up and saying, look, I need help. Who can I speak to? Who, can, who has this software? Who has this infrastructure? So people want to do that because they know it's good for, for their own mission, but it's also good for their own business. So people are searching for that. There's um, a guy, A. Thomas, A. Thomas, who runs Green.TV. He's the ideas man, I guess, or the founder of like World EV Car Day that was a couple of weeks ago. He's also run an event in Scotland in conjunction with COP26, a decarbonation summit. You know, and, and the way that he brings this industry together is fantastic. And he's just one example. Someone else I met recently at one of his events, actually, is Catherine Maris, who completely alien to me or unknown to me. She works for Motability, the charity. And she's really looking at how the transition to electric vehicles are going to affect her client base. So those that aren't physically able, maybe even to lift the heavy electric cables, or they can't get up the curb in a wheelchair easy enough to get the cable off the charging point. All of these things that unless you're in any way related to that personally, perhaps you don't consider. And her in particular, she's a very impressive person. And um, I think absolutely always has really clear, articulate things to say and is a voice that should be listened to. Yeah. And I think that that strikes on to the topic of community and this community, not just collaborating for the good of climate change, but for the good of people as well. So, you know, those people that are going so far above and beyond what they need to be doing and really kind of putting their heart and soul into the sector. And like you say, making sure that this isn't something that is for the few, it's for the many. It's a, how do we make mobility or clean mobility accessible to absolutely everyone that we can do that for? And whether that's making sure there's adaptations to vehicles or charging infrastructure or adaptations to electric scooters you know it's about making sure that every single person that can join this kind of clean mobility revolution can well you're absolutely right and i think it comes from the fact that the work that we're doing now in the industry that we're in it's driven by passion it's driven by purpose right there are reasons beyond i'm getting paid to do it it's it's something that you believe in as a person and you want it you want to see it happen you want to encourage that behavior in others and actually see the world change as a result so and, you know, when you talk about working with purpose or having that passion for what you actually do, it really is about that. Look, I'm doing it because I want to see the world change. And I know I can be a part of that change and you can push these things forward. And that as a motivator is phenomenal. So if you think about the time you spend in work or the time you spend sort of at the time you allocate to a task, when your heart and soul is in it, when you're completely passionate about what you're trying to do, you do it better. You do it with a smile on your face. And you do it with the, with the knowledge that the outcome is a good thing. So, you know, what's, what's, that's what everyone should be looking for. And not everyone's lucky enough to be in that position. I completely understand that. 
But if you can find it, really is a wonderful place to be. My next question was, Brightsmith strapline is live your purpose. And what does that mean to you, Thomas? We must share a brain because you got there one step ahead of me. But I would say just to kind of further that, when we talked about you moving into the sector, that was one of those things. It was, you know, what actually is motivating you on a day-to-day basis? And I know we talked about that kind of cleaner future for your kids and where you could use 20 years of knowledge and experience in software and technology and marketing and networking and put that into a brand new environment that you actually had no experience of the sector other than having driven an electric car or understanding, you know, the the basics of climate change that most people understand, you've managed to go from there to in four months' time, sounding like a fairly informed individual, I must say. Well, you've got to remember that I'm in marketing, so sounding like a fairly informed in- individual is part of the job, rather than whether I am one or not. But actually, there's a there's a there's another story there. So the, the, in in January 2019, my eldest daughter asked me what I did in work. And I dismissed her in a sort of, oh, it's, it's boring. You don't, you don't want to sort of learn about that. And then, of course, regretted saying that pretty quickly afterwards and thought about what I'd said and why, why was I telling my daughter that work is boring? I don't want her to think that. I don't want to think that what I do is, is not interesting to me, especially when occasionally you have to sacrifice time with your children for your work. So that's not a great message to share. So back then I started to think about, well, what would make me happy in what I do? And why would I be spending time, spending so much time each week performing something which I don't like to do? So that started the process of me trying to reevaluate my own life and my own career to work out where can I add more value? And ultimately sort of ended up developing this sort of passion for actually, well, no, hang on, I've got a quite a good skill set. Um, your introduction would certainly suggest I, I might have something to add value somewhere. So, you know, it then become, okay, so why can't I apply that to a, a new environment, an area where I think I can um, really make a difference. And luckily for me, when I met Jane, our, Jane Hoffer, our CEO, she recognized that as well. And now I was able to jump from financial services technology right into clean technology or in, in our current state into mobility change. So I can sort of apply those skills and it's, it's working out um, really well. Now, normally I would say touch wood and you touch your head or something, but I'm in a, in a, I'm in a cork paradise in, in Portugal. So I, I don't know if cork's actually considered wood or not, but um, I, I will find some afterwards and you can touch some wood to make sure that it does continue to go okay. Excellent. Well, I'm sure it will. And actually, I think something that I took myself when I joined this sector was that feeling of kind of pride in what you do. And not that I didn't enjoy the earlier parts of my career, I certainly did, and obviously met some fantastic people through it. But I think I didn't have as much of a sense of pride in what I did as I do now. And that kind of feeling of knowing that every day, regardless of where you fit in this giant sector and the puzzle, you're doing something that really actually makes a difference to people's lives, but also to the planet and to the future generations. And and I guess being able to say to your daughter, now, now this is what I do and this is what I'm working towards and this is what it will mean to you in the future probably gives you, I hope, gives you a that sense of pride and wanting to share with your kids what you do. It absolutely does. And it's not just your children, of course, it's the rest of your family. It's anyone in the public. You know, I spent four days last week, Wednesday through Saturday, filming some content for us as a company. We're filming in the UK. And when I'm talking to clients there or prospects and businesses about what we do and what I do, um, instead of, you, you know, what, what the reaction would have been five years ago if I say I'm in financial services and technology and, and you'd see a, a very familiar roll of the eyes, 
suddenly when you start to talk about we're in the space where we're going to sort of encourage people to transition to electric vehicles, but not just they're a better car or a better van. We're talking about the infrastructure behind that and how we can make a, a, a better organization, if you like, and, and make you or help you achieve your carbon reduction targets and actually do that in a very cost beneficial way as well. When you start to talk about those ideas with passion, instead of that shrug of the shoulders and the roll of the eyes, you see this real light come up in their eyes because they're interested. It's really hot topic at the moment. People are seeing real problems in that area. Maybe this is some, one or some companies can help us fix that because actually more and more, and I generally think this is the case now, most people are on the path to doing this and most people want to reduce carbon. Most people want to lower their own individual and their corporation, the companies or organizations impact on the environment. So when you start to say, we've done something, we've done it in Portugal, um, we've done something, we can, can help you with this. You see them get excited and suddenly they, they're bouncing out of their seat and they want to talk to you and they sort of say, yes, this is absolutely something I'm interested in. Please tell me more. And that's something I'm not personally used to, you know, um, which is really great. So you're absolutely right. That pride, it fulfills itself, doesn't it? So you, they react that way. You feel even more emboldened by what they've said. You get more encouraged. They get excited. You end up having a rare old time together. <laughs> no, but I, I agree. And we have that, you know, whether it's one of our fuel cell customers, whether it's working with yourself and Jane, um, you know, the, the scooters on the street, I have loads of friends and acquaintances asking more about the sector about what it looks like where it's going what's changing and they're interested and and it is a, a massive difference from working in that kind of more corporate world and and certainly we need that world we need finance and I'm not sort of um, putting that down in any way but I feel like for me personally and I know for you as well it's, it's been a big changer for us of feeling that that real sense of purpose. Now we've gone totally off track from where we were supposed to go, which always happens. Um, but what I would like to do is to make sure that we go back to that kind of thought around the people from outside of the sector understanding where things fit together. So if we look at, at EVs and where they fit into the wider solution for tackling climate change, as we've said, there is no one solution to this. We need all of those different things. We need solar, we need wind, we need geothermal, we need hydrogen, we need everything to work together. But how do EVs in particular have an impact and, and what part do they play? Look, if anyone gets given a, a carbon reduction target, whether that's a country, an organisation or an individual, if you're given a project to lower a lower your, your company's emissions. Then when you start to delve into that data, where are you putting it into the atmosphere? You're always going to stumble across mobility. And mobility will want to be one of the biggest um, chunks of that carbon, almost always. So when you start to think, how can we change the way that we move people around? You have to consider electric vehicles as one of the options. Now, you pointed out that there are other ways to, to, to power a vehicle. But clearly the mode that's winning for scientific reasons that I'm not clever enough to explain, but I'm sure one of your other guests will be able to do so. I, I kind of just put the, the spin on it, hopefully. The electric vehicles are sort of winning the race, right? And therefore an organization, a company, an individual will all start to, at some point over the next couple of years, will need to consider how they're going to transition to electric vehicles. In the UK, of course, we already know that you will not be able to buy a new combustion engine vehicle after 2030. Maybe that target will be brought closer. It's changed already, right? So maybe brought closer. That won't happen. That doesn't mean they'll disappear off the roads. They'll still have a, a usage period after that. But of course, you can imagine through the way that emissions are taxed in the UK and in other countries and the way the tax is placed on fuel, they'll be very, very expensive to run. So 
electric vehicles will become the norm, right? Most people will have an electric vehicle and all have access to use one. So you can see in that sort of complete mix of fuel that electric will be one of the main drivers. There's so many puns in this world, don't there? I keep on talking about sort of the drivers of energy or a gear shift in, um, in cultural change. It's all just puns, isn't it, based on, on, on moving people around. But when you then consider maybe that the heavy vehicles need to be powered by hydrogen instead. So I, talk, I spoke to someone in, um, in Glasgow recently who was trying to work out how they would use electric power to fuel their refuse collection lorries that drive around the streets. And they calculated they had a real problem with this because didn't have enough power to get up the hills in Glasgow. And the, the suggestion they'd had to that point, we'll just turn them around so they go down the hill instead. Of course, that's a bit of a silly explanation, but there's a complexity involved when you transition to electric vehicles, but not everything can be electric yet. So what you need to consider, as you pointed out, is that what can be electric and when it can be electric and what other modes of transport could be used to supplement that. And to be honest, today, if you looked at an entire fleet of vehicles, you'd still be recommending for some of them that it's a combustion engine because actually the technology isn't there for some people yet and for what they need the car for or, the, or a van for. Another client I was speaking to last week, but something really um, interesting, they're an emergency response company. They're in the security space. It's not helping, but they respond to burglar alarms and things. And they were explaining how at the end of each working day, say it's four or five o'clock, if they've had a, an electric vehicle moving around different sites all day, it may be running out of charge. But then they get a call out. And that call out could be from Liverpool to Motherwell, very the north reaches of, of the UK. If that happens, they've got to work out how, number one, how they're going to charge their vehicle to get there. But of course, they also have a, a sort of contractual response time that they've got to meet. So imagine that's four hours. They've got to get to Motherwell in four hours. You can fill up your van and you can do it in four hours normally. If you have to put an hour and a half charging or two hours or three hours charging, it's not physically possible. So you can see that there's, you can't just say to everyone, swap it for electric vehicle. There are use cases where you need to have a blend, you need to have a um, a balance of different types of fuel to solve the motivability problem. I agree. And the same with the shared shared vehicles. I think there's a lot of people that actually realise they no longer need their own vehicle and vehicles sit on the drive for 95% of the time or on the street or wherever they're sitting. But if you can join car clubs or have access to micro mobility where appropriate, then all the better. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So whatever that stat is, and it varies obviously by, by region and, and country, lots of stuff. But say if it's 95%, as you say, the other 5% of the time, you can then even consider how much of that 5% are all five seats in a car being occupied. So most of the time, it's not. It's only one person. So it's, a, it's even when it's being used, it's not being used to its full capacity, which is where the, the car sharing scheme and carpooling comes in. But then you have to sort of then consider, again, the cultural shift that's required to think that you might not necessarily have your own vehicle, you're able to take wherever you want to, when you want to, and you have to have a shared infrastructure around that. So, of course, to enable that and to make that an easy decision, much in the same way that to make electric vehicles an easy decision, you have to have a support infrastructure that makes that simple. It doesn't cause problems. So if you think at the moment, most people who move to electric kind of stick with it. I think four out of five stick with it, but one out of five actually says, no, this isn't working for me. And it's all because of the inconvenience of charging. There are problems if you live in an area or a, or a flat or apartment that doesn't have its own dedicated parking space. How does that work? How can you charge a vehicle? Do you have to leave it somewhere else overnight? People aren't going to want to do that. So you have to look at organizations like Ubertricity and Shell or Connected Curb 
Earlier on, you talked about great individuals in this space. Chris Preitman Jones, who's the CEO of Connected Curve, is a great person to talk to. So he's implanting charging infrastructure on the side of residential streets in the curve, either underground or in a bollard that they'll in- install into the curve itself, giving access to charging on the street side, which Electricity are doing as well when they're using the lamppost and the electrical supply that are in the lamppost. So it all ties into what you've been saying, that there's there's this ecosystem that's developing to actually make the infrastructure work, which makes the decision to transition easier. At the moment, it's not an easy decision. I agree. And I also think you made a great point there on the kind of innovation. And something that stands out for me is that this sector needs more innovative people and needs more creative people and not just your traditional tech. So yes, it needs software developers. Yes, it needs engineers, but it also needs great minds from other sectors who come up with these new weird and wonderful ideas. Some of them work, some of them don't work. We know this, but if you keep going and you keep pushing and you bring more and more ideas and more creativity from different people, from all different backgrounds, different ages, different sectors, then it's a melting pot of amazing ideas and some of which stick and some of which are right for now, and some of them are are more long-term. And we know that this blend of energy is going to change over the years and and needs to change, but it can't all happen overnight, like you say. So one more thing I have on that is we've talked about inspiring individuals. For those people listening that want to go and look up other people in the sector that are doing great things, producing great content or, or events, is there anyone else you'd recommend people sort of have a read of their profile or reach out to if they're interested in the space? I could obviously just list everyone who works here at Go With Flow because I find them all, actually, and I'm, I'm not overstating that, they're, they're a really inspiring bunch of people who've been doing this for eight to 10 years in, in various guises. So, you know, a decade of experience of people who are really passionate about this is valuable to work with. And Jane Hoffer, our CEO, who's really inspirational, for a number of reasons. Her background, she's a, a senior female. She's a female in technology, and she's actually great fun to be around. She's great. But there, there are lots of other people. Poppy Mills at Upatricity in the UK, really great person to speak to if you, if you hear her thoughts on, on this world and how she's got to where she is. You know, and there's, there's, there's lots of them. The key thing is, if anyone's thinking about moving into the clean tech space, don't be daunted by it. It's, it's a fun, fascinating place to be. The leaps that we're seeing and the advances in technology that we're developing, how we're about to change everything you do really. And being involved in that is actually such an empowering thing to think, you know what, we're we're really changing the way that people behave and we're changing the world. We're not just moving numbers around on a spreadsheet or making rich people richer. We're doing something which is really valuable, you know. As I said earlier, you know, having that as a driver behind you, there's the other pun again, is really, really a great thing to have. And looking forwards, as you were doing, what do you see as the kind of big changes on the horizon? And perhaps for you, perhaps for, for Go With Flow and the team, or perhaps just for the wider industry, like what's coming next year? I think we're just going to see more and more of the same. We're going to see more and more infrastructure improvements. We're going to see more and more effort to push people towards electric vehicles and sustainable mobility. I think we're going to see some governmental moves in that space as well. For instance, if you take your mobile phone to work, and you plug it in and charge it whilst you're at work, you probably should be subject to some sort of tax on that energy, right? Because it's a benefit in kind. It's cash that's been given to you under the radar, if you like. But of course, it's so small and difficult to track and nobody knows what who's doing what, then it, it, I guess it's overlooked. When you look at the vehicle charging, if you're bringing your vehicle to work and you're, you're tapping into your company's energy supply to charge your vehicle whilst it's at work, you might be taking five pounds of energy a day. 
over 200 days, that ends up being a thousand pounds. Now, I'm pretty sure that one way or another, governments will want a slice of that thousand pounds that you've been given because it's essentially income and or you'll end up with employee benefits packaging, including energy supply for these purposes as part of the sort of perks you get as an employee, which enables you to be smart with the way that it's, it's handed over and the way that it's ordered, et cetera. So those, you can absolutely see the world changing that way very, very quickly. And of course, to make that a viable thing to do, you need to be able to, to track the data, report on it, reconcile the two things together and make sure that all of the data is correct and, and being reported when necessary properly. So I think we'll see more and more legislation or taxation related to electric vehicles changing. But really, as I said, it's just more and more of the same, a bigger push for sustainable mobility from corporations, from governments. But I think we as people will be more and more receptive to that change as well. I speak to people all the time. This weekend, I was speaking to my dad, plus my father-in-law, and uh, they're both now asking each other, when are you going to move to electric? They were both in their 70s and they're considering it. So this isn't even a young person's thing. They recognise the need and recognise the benefits. So, you know, I think we're just going to see more and more adoption across everything that we do. Yeah, and that's what we need to see. And you're right, across all generations. And I think the mindset that comes with this sector has been more naturally adopted by the next generation, those that are coming out of schools or universities or internships. But we are seeing a massive shift in the, the kind of acceptance rate and the understanding of the technology in, um, in all generations. So it's fantastic. And now my last question to you, or not even question really, but my last thing I'd like to ask is if you could leave our listeners with one last thing, one last message, what would that be? I'm going to guess, Jenny, that the profile of your listeners are either sort of one, interested in their own career or, or other people's careers, and two, certainly interested in the clean tech space. So I have the luxury of thinking about something to say whilst I picture them in my mind. So I'm kind of almost preaching to the converted, right? But look, if anyone's out there who's thinking about their own career and perhaps they're not happy in their career because they're not motivated in the way they'd like to be, there really is another decision to make there. You know, you can actually say, I can sacrifice a bit of salary or I can sacrifice my intended career path because I can promise you, and I, I'm living evidence of this, and if you want to speak to me about it, find, find out where I am and contact me. It's a better world when you shift away and actually do something with that passion behind you and that, and that purpose. And anyone who knows me as well, and, and Jenny might back this up, would say Thomas is a much happier person now than he was two years ago. And I, I'd like to think my kids think that as well. And the next time they ask, you know, what I do for a living, I'll be able to tell them to the point where they're bored to tears of what I'm talking about rather than dismissing them and saying that uh, you wouldn't find it interesting. So the message is do it. It's uh, Don't be afraid. It's out there. And actually the will to, to be in that industry, I think, is probably a more powerful sales point than having a background in it. So I think that that brings us to a very natural close. I know you and I could talk forever but I think that for me was a very insightful discussion. It really, really, really showed to me that someone that's only been in the sector for four months can already be totally embedded in it, have a really great understanding of it. And already, as you say, you're happier, you're more driven, you have a greater sense of purpose. And that change could be so, so quick. So I, I couldn't agree with you know, your advice more for those people out there that are thinking of making that change, 
it isn't easy. It wasn't easy for you to do. You know, it took us a lot of conversations before we finally found the exact perfect place. But you did. And that perseverance paid off. So well done. Thank you for joining me today. It was a pleasure. We've talked about doing a podcast together for a very long time. And it's been uh, it's been a great experience to do it today. So thank you for being a part of the show. And I will definitely have you back when you're an industry vet and can come back and answer the uh, the bit that you left to the scientists. Well, that's a, yep, fair enough. Uh, it'll take me another sort of, um, I think, three weeks. That might be a bit too soon for you, but certainly, of course, anything you need from us and, and me, Jenny, you know where to find me. Okay, well, thank you. Thank you for being a wonderful guest and a wonderful person and a wonderful friend. Oh, shut up. I wish you the very best in your time at Go With Flow. Thank you for listening to Conversations in Clean Tech, brought to you by Brightsmith. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe, like, and leave a review. Every time you do, it helps others to find the show. For more information on Brightsmith and how we can help you to build a sustainable future through identifying, attracting, and retaining diverse talent, head over to brightsmith.com. Join us next time for more Conversations in Clean Tech.